0: Welcome to Black Diplomats, the dopest foreign policy podcast in America, where we talk about foreign affairs from a Black, non-Western, white man perspective. Today, we're talking about what it's like to be LGBTQ plus in Eastern Europe, with the focus on Georgia, Ukraine, and Russia. Our very special guests are Miriam Kvartalya, co-founder of Tbilisi Pride, an LGBTQ plus rights organization in Georgia. We also have Svetlana Zaharova, communications manager in the Russian LGBT Network. We also have Maxime Aristavi, a writer and LGBTQ plus activist who has done extensive human rights work in Ukraine and the rest of Europe. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey. Hello. Good, good, good. So, you know, I'm really happy to talk to y'all because as a journalist here in America, you know, we all have our own shit in America about LGBTQ plus rights. And people have this assumption that, you know, America, there are ways in which we're progressive, you know, and more so than a lot of countries around the world. But because I have a lot of friendships uh particularly with my good friend maxime i've been able to learn a lot about queer people and trans people in ukraine and russia and elsewhere and so i, I really wanted to focus this episode on the work that y'all are doing there and and what does civil society mean within the context of lgbtq plus rights and so i want to start off with you sweat we hear about activists in Russia that are fighting for democracy and civil society. You have done extensive work in Russia and advocating for people's rights here. So I just want to introduce you to our listeners. So just tell us about the work that you do in Russia and about who you are.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, I think this, it is already a hard question. I'm okay. with the Russian LGBT network since 2014, so around seven years. Uh, I think I do communications myself, and I'm part of the network, which is an umbrella organization, so we work in around 20 regions of, of Russia. It's just not that much taken like, into account the size of the country, but I would say that it's like a huge number taken into account the situation we do have in the country. So we do like most things other LGBT plus organizations do. We do advocacy, we do strategic litigation, we do help people, we do have psychological and legal support for LGBT community. We try to support movement in the regions. Well, quite a lot, many things. I think that most uh, people outside of Russia know the network because of the work we also are doing around Chechnya I don't know maybe we will talk about it later as well
0: there are there's recently uh, a group of representatives. this is according to uh, Medusa. a group of representatives from the Federation Council want to ban transgender people in Russia from marrying right and also want to make it more difficult for couples that include uh, one trans partner to adopt children and it was announced by a conservative senator by the name of elena Mizulina who led the draft and so like do you mind telling us like what what what's going on with this current draft and why are people so persistent with this um in in, in russia the legislators
1: well to be honest when they introduced this new legislation new piece of legislation i was shocked because i kind of expected that something like that was going to happen because just recently on july 1st our constitution was changed and this definition of a marriage as a union of a man and a woman appeared for the first time in the constitution so i expected that they might change something in the family code and so on but they went much further Basically, and they really didn't reduce all this negative change that affects like really, really badly life of transgender people and LGBT people in Russia. And like when I'm asked why they're doing that, I have no idea. Really, I, I mean, I can guess, but the thing with Russia is, uh, it's absolutely unpredictable. All the situation politically, socially, from my point of view, is unpredict- is unpredictable. You do A you do B, you can get C, you can get D, Like the station can go to any direction. I have a guess. I assume that uh, uh, our authorities are losing power and for some reasons they believe that this hatred towards LGBT community can help them to get this power back to get, I don't know, respect from the society or whatever they want to get. Mm -hmm. But actually what I can see, the society in Russia is more sophisticated than our authorities tend to think. And, uh, well, quite surprisingly for us, for LGBT organizations, we get quite a lot of support right now from, um, well, from all sides, basically. So uh, I'm not sure. If this legislation new piece of legislation is going to be uh, like taken adopted uh we have quite a big fight ahead but well i I want to be optimistic
0: yeah so i want to ask you more about that but i want to get to our other guests so particularly around the differences in how you deal with elected officials in your countries right like what's like the differences and is there a is like for example is ukraine a bit more ahead than Russia or is Georgia the same way. I want we'll talk about that later. Mariam, just tell us who you are and about Tbilisi Pride and, and the work you do in Georgia.
2: So thank you for inviting me to the show, it's really good opportunity because we mostly get the uh, chance to interact with European audience and to talk to American people It's really, really nice. And uh, so I'm Mariam, I'm from Georgia and I'm the co-founder of the first ever Tbilisi Pride initiative. Uh, we started in the beginning of 2019, so we are just two years old, uh, but all of us, uh, the members of our team, we have backgrounds working at different LGBT organizations in Georgia and being activists, human rights activists. And so um, basically last year we tried to organize the first ever Pride March and Pride Week in Tbilisi, in the capital city, uh, and um, it was... Really, really difficult and very messy because um, basically, people, mm, the society was very uh, resistant to it, and especially those uh, groups that we call far right groups who are. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, organized. And um, in the recent years, they become stronger and more visible, unfortunately. And we had um, very difficult times because we were um, regularly attacked verbally and physically. And um, we were receiving the uh, pride organizer- organizers, even death threats. And unfortunately, the police was not doing anything. Still, one year passed and none of the incidents, hate crime incidents, are investigated and we have no results at all. And um, even though such we had such obstacles, um, we managed to organize some of the pride activities, such as uh, international conference and also the theatre play. But in case of the dignity march, um, it uh, was impossible to organize as we planned it, and we had uh, we had to do it very. Um, in a partisan way, guerrilla way, to just show up in front of, in, in, at some uh, location and just 30, 40 people and do it because we couldn't mobilize uh, hundreds of people as we didn't have any support from police or the government. government and we basically had to uh, kind of back off and uh, um, try to do it again um, in the next years. Um, so we, uh, we try to use the rights of peaceful assembly and f- freedom of expression in order to overcome homophobia and transphobia in Georgia. Because we, we believe that visibility comes before acceptance and triggering the, the dialogue, triggering the massive discussions and raising visibility of LGBTQI people is very important in order to tackle the issue of homophobia. So this is basically what we do. But also we have some long-term projects. Uh, We have several directions, such as working with parents because we don't have any parents organization or movement right now in Georgia. And also we started to work with the politicians. We have uh, parliamentary elections, very important elections coming up in October. So in first time in history, we started to work with political parties to promote, to advocate for LGBTQI rights and we are meeting with them. We're trying to raise their awareness. And um, yeah, we, we have some also long-term programs because we, need, we think that this is very important in order, to, uh, in order to pride happen at some point in Georgia. So um, yeah, this is um, shortly about us. And, and thank you again for, for this opportunity.
0: You know, uh, Mariam, when I think about Georgia, I did a Peace Corps there 2003 to 2005, and I lived in the uh, al that that region, and I was in Valle. The, the village is about 45 minutes to an hour from the Turkish border. I lived there for a couple of years, and then I went to Tel and then from there I would go. I, I did a I did a summer language program in Tbilisi. And I was in uh Vake. Vake. But I'm saying all that to say, like when I went to Georgia, it was interesting. It's in, like I'm a am a black American and so I'm a minority in Georgia, but I always felt like I was safer than somebody who was LGBTQ plus. And that, or in some cases, even um, a woman, right? Particularly when you go into the villages, right? And so I will never forget during our Peace Corps training, one of the rules of survival that we were taught by our Georgian train, our cultural, cross-cultural trainers was, if you are gay, don't tell anybody. Do not tell your host family, do not say that to anybody because you can get hurt or they'll kill you. That's that's what they told us. And we had two Peace Corps volunteers who were gay, like two gay men. And honestly, that was one of my first introductions to what it's like to be in the world as a gay person or queer or lesbian, however you identify within the community. And I found myself learning how to support LGBTQ plus people as a black man in this country, you know, in Georgia. And it was like a, it was something, I've learned the levels of what it means to be a minority, you know, in Georgia, right? That was the thing. And you think about Georgia it's known for its hospitality, it's known for this food and cuisine. And so for me, it's like one of those, I I could go from, I was, I remember during the the wine producing season and I just remember always feeling like I, I would literally go from one house to the other and I would be drinking all day. And like, that's what I take in, like really. But my friends, I mean, even though I'm black and even though I dealt with like bullshit and things from time to time, I never had to hide the totality of who I am. You know, because I'm a cisgender straight man. And so I never had to think about that. And, and really, it was Georgia where I first, like, on a regular basis, was really confronted with these things because I had to be in support of my other friends. And I'm not saying it's just germane to Georgia. I just happen to be in Georgia where you have all of these dichotomies that took place. But when you talk about the elected officials and you work with, you know, talk with parliamentarians, How has that worked for you? Do you have support within the Georgian uh, parliament from some people?
2: Uh, Well, there are very few people, probably four or five who who are supporting us um, in Georgian parliament. But basically we are now, working with um, those politicians uh, who are in opposition parties and who try to get elected and to get to the parliament. Uh, And um, so far it's going in a very interesting way. Uh, At least they meet with us and we talk and we discuss the issues. And this is very important for us because it has never happened before. Of course, they have some homophobic views and they don't understand many things, but it's a matter of conversation and dialogue and we will at some point we will get and some of the political parties are even willing to put some uh, issues and um, uh, activities in their um, election programs and this is also a huge thing Uh, yeah definitely you mentioned hiding and uh, I would say uh, 99% of LGBTQI people in Georgia are hiding it's the norm nobody tells their families nobody tells about it uh, to their coworkers. there are only few people who are out only few activists uh and um yeah this is very difficult um Uh, And those who are open and who are uh, somehow involved in the activism, they get lots of aggression. And uh, it's it's quite difficult to do this work uh, in Georgia. And I I personally, it's very difficult for me because I don't even have the support from my family all the time. They are asking me and begging me to leave this work and to do something good and something uh, useful and important for the country. And it's uh, like, uh, it's very difficult to be open in Georgia. But we have some progress, I would say. Uh, Georgian queer uh, movement is very young. It's just, I would say, 14, 15 years old that something started to happen. Uh, and uh, in this time of period, we have uh, uh, achieved um, quite good results in terms of re- legislation and shifting the attitudes um, of people. And, but this is very slow, very slow and small steps. Uh, and uh, we at Felicity Pride, we we really want to make it quick because I personally don't want to wait seventy years in order to see some progress. And it's very we want our human rights here and now at this moment. So, yeah, we we are trying to do our best.
0: Maxime. so you know, I'm I'm trying to remember when we met. Like, did we? Uh, I don't remember.
3: Around 2004 or yeah. maybe a bit later uh, earlier uh because of the revolution pro democratic revolution in the Ukraine Russian yeah, yeah, and Russian right. invasion yeah uh, yeah i think about around that time
0: yeah and you know um you know when i when i'm looking at you i'm thinking about the pride march that we were in together and it was last year right last summer mhm like that was the first thing I did. I I flew in. I think that Pride March was on a Sunday, yeah. and I came in on a Saturday. And I travel for for everybody that's listening. And for um, I travel to Ukraine at least four times a year. Uh, and I also go to Georgia at least once. So for me, it was really like, I honestly, when I was, when we were in that March, I remember that huge police presence. And I remember all the work that the activists were doing in order to make that happen and to make it safe and possible. And I remember all of the kind of like the, 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 uh, the, the right wing people who are yelling all their obscenities and stuff like that. And, um, and I was just happy to be, I don't think we were exactly in the same location. We met, you know, eventually afterwards, but we were in that march in that procession together. And it just made me feel happy that I could support my LGBTQ plus friends who are in Ukraine. You know, it meant something to me. And like, it was an extension of what it means to be embracing of all people and the work that I do in America. And But it's just one dimension of you, you know, like, um, you know, in our friendship, too. But I really want to ask you about yourself and the work that you do. I mean, you're a journalist and, you know, you you've written about a wide range of things, but particularly with the LGBTQ LGBTQ plus community, you know, just share with our audience about yourself and the efforts that you're making in Ukraine and elsewhere to for for uh, societies to be more tolerant and accepting.
3: Yeah, I, I actually, you know, I'm really glad that you took us to last year and the memories of uh, Kiev Pride because I I distinctly remember um, that we weren't able to meet at the Pride because it was so large and it was really yeah. hard <laughs> to find people yeah. and. I remember my first pride back in Ukraine, in Ukrainian capital, in 2000, um, it was 2013, Uh, and it was literally maybe 40 people surrounded by 300 uh, police uh, folks and even like hundreds of really angry, aggressive people uh, who were opposing that first pride. And just to see such a dramatic, it is dramatic evolution for the whole region, to see that pride blossoming into completely safe, uh, large, it is the largest pride event in Eastern Europe at the moment. Mm-hmm. And only, and to see how it actually sends waves of inspiration, but also actual people got inspired to get a pride inside Ukraine. So. There are a number of regional brides now in Ukraine, something that wasn't there just three, four years ago as well. So for, I mean, I, I come from Ukraine. I'm Ukrainian-Georgian and coming from really, you know, mixed background in terms of, uh, you know, being disfranchised on so many levels as a queer man, as, uh, as a person from really a poor background, as a person who's not ethnically Ukrainian and stuff like that is actually always put me in position that I would rather um, have this desire to tell the stories about those struggles and to amplify them on a global level. And I still think that it's much more important than people sometimes think. Like when you look at the uh, such a quality frontline in Eastern Europe and or any other uh, equality frontline, when I travel and tell those stories, people usually exoticize them, saying like, well, you know, the situation is bad on some uh, equality front lines because of inherited homophobia or because people are not there yet to the standards uh, set by some Western societies. And I find this, you know, complete bullshit because... Not only those equality frontlines are integrated within global fight for equality because of such an outsized role of international and transborder homophobic groups that pour so many resources to actually trump our fights on the global mm-hmm. e- equality frontlines. Maybe 50 years ago it was about natural social evolution. Of course, you know, people should like people would learn about queer people, get more accepting. But now it's not the case. I mean, the region was more accepting of us maybe 15 years ago than it, it is now because mm. of that, of those tendencies, because of those conservative groups, including uh, from outside that, you know, forming so, res- uh, so many resources to aggravate identity clash uh, clashes within our societies. But, um, I also think, you know, as a journalist, as a writer, I also look into another aspect that I think people oversee for any queer struggle anywhere, is how it's now intertwined and mixed with many other huge important aspects. Like for example, the role of disinformation, how it's like shaped and undermines uh, equality uh, fights anywhere, including in America, but much more so in places like Eastern Europe. The role of colonialism, for example, I think this is one of the largest underlooked topics of how colonialism, specifically in our region, Russian colonialism, helped to uh, establish legal basis for homophobia in many of our countries. That it's something that it wasn't there before Russian Empire conquest or Soviet Union conquest. So those are stories that basically bring those equality frontlines back to the mainstream discourse and help people to see them as a part of global trends, of something that everyone can relate, but also to understand the most important part that you cannot fix a situation on equality frontlines without addressing, you know, some larger aspects uh, back in the societies that are now, you know labeled as more progressive or more you know more tolerant um that's not just the case we're so so intertwined in um you know um our issues basically overlap in such a fantastic but also terrifying
0: ways absolutely i want to go yeah i want to go into that a little bit more because in america i i feel like there are so many ways as a black American who writes about race, like as somebody who's straight and cisgender, like there's so many things I can relate to what you said, Maxine. Because when you talk about the larger structures, right, I think about in America, white supremacy. Homophobia, transphobia, all those things come from white supremacy. You know, within our American context. So, they are, and it's documented, right? And so one of the things that black activists do here when we talk about Black Lives Matter, uh, there's an extension of that where uh, the, the three women who founded the Black Lives Matter movement, two of them are queer women. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, everybody focuses on, hey, the black part, but these are, two of them are queer women. And the people who are organizing many of these mar- these Black Lives Matter marches in America, they're transgender women. They're queer women. They're gay men. They're, you know, they're, they're lesbian women, right? And I think that's something that's not really stressed internationally, that this is very much a queer and LGBTQ-led movement. I think people, it's definitely about black people, but LGBTQ is there. And one of the challenges that I find when I talk to people in my writing, especially with other black people, like within my community, I try to tell them that, hey, you know, you can be black, you can be gay, you can be all these other things. And so um, it's it just shows you that you don't, you could be any race or any color and still have very anti-LGBTQ plus views. And... But, but, Maxine, but particularly, I want to ask um, Svetlana and, and Mariam this. Um, when you talk about where this comes from, when you talk about the larger structural issues, right? Um, how do you talk about this? How do you lead that conversation and say Russia about this is larger, you know, this comes from, I don't know, imperialism, wherever the case may be.
1: I would say that unfortunately in Russia we don't talk about that that much and it is part of our movement we do not really discuss uh, what our goals, where are we going, where are our roots basically, Um, we do have sets of ideas and beliefs. And basically, I would say that the movement, uh, as I see it, LGBT+ movement, is um, like has this very strong basis in human rights, as a very basic, uh, very basic thing, very necessary thing. But unfortunately, we do not have discussions, internal discussions about intersectionality, about the, all these systemic change, about all these structural issues. Uh, it is hard for me to say why. But uh, as I see it, probably, at least partly, it stems from the fact that LGBT movement in Russia in the very beginning tried to copy Western movements. And we mm-hmm. tried to embrace whatever was going on outside of mm-hmm. Russia and we took it on board without really reflection, without uh, like really taking it as something that really belonged to us. For instance, there is this word queer which is now used like a lot in Russia but in fact there is no background like the word queer have in English. In Russia queer it is just a world uh, which is unknown to the majority of the population. People don't know what it is and it is cool to be queer. It, it is just a cool world without, you know, this process of taking it and making it ours and being proud of it. And unfortunately I can say that many things are like that.
0: Mariam, uh, what about you?
1: So
2: definitely um, it's a very important conversation to see a big picture. And uh, we always say, it, and it's definitely true, uh, Maxim mentioned the colonialism and Russian, uh, the influence of Russian empire on Georgia, because we are very small countries, seemingly 3 million people who were part of Soviet Union. And some of our legislation, for example, uh, criminalization of uh, homosexual relations were, uh, were put in our criminal um, uh, legislation during Soviet Union. It was like the legislation brought from the Union and just put, reflected in our, our laws and uh, right after Soviet Union collapsed, we removed it uh, from there and and of course, and now we talk about um, Russian propaganda and uh, the influence and in Russian money uh, that comes to georgia and uh, there are some researches that say some many of the right wing far right um, radical groups are financed uh, from russia, and these struggles are real. we think that um, definitely. Um there is influence, and Russia tries um, to create obstacles for georgia to uh, in order not to be able to reach democracy. We think that um Russia does not want and uh, putin's regime does not want to Georgia to achieve democracy and to move uh to move towards uh, European Union and they we, they really want us to stay more on Russian uh, Orbits and this is a problem, but also there we have now new wave of critics started within the movement uh, Because sometimes we are always blaming uh, The problems homophobia and everything that is happening in this country on russia on russian propaganda and money and sometimes it's uh yeah of course it's very important and there is huge role of uh, uh this country uh, in, in um in reinforcing hate and stereotypes and so on uh in uh, georgia but also we have uh we have homophobia existing here like georgian authentic homophobia and transphobia and it's not um just that but uh, there are many different uh, and we have uh, orthodox church church uh, that is the dominant religious organization and they have like huge uh influence and support like 90 percent of georgians belong uh, to orthodox christianity and they support our the patriarch of georgia um uh, very much and um Usually the government is, is uh, very much uh, depending on their opinions and uh, on their decisions and the, uh, the topic of LGBTQI rights is always a matter of negotiations and bargaining between the, uh, the government and, and the Orthodox Church. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, many different things, but definitely um, being in this very difficult geopolitical location, having uh, the neighbors, which definitely lack democracy, such as Azerbaijan, uh, Russia, Turkey, and Armenia, um, it's uh, quite difficult um, uh, to move, uh, to become democratic uh, and to uphold these values, democratic values in, in, uh, in in my home country.
3: Maxine. I, uh, I definitely would channel both what Miriam said and Svetlana bought that we uh, definitely, any equality front line should have reflection on how to calibrate, on how to bring this movement for equality back to local rules. Because each country is different and unique in its own way and deals with a lot of unique preset uh, factors that influence homophobia every country has homophobia every society has homophobia but then we should also look at to larger issues right what kind of trumps our uh, ability to deal with local issues but um also it's i i you know when i try to bring it to a global level I'm not there only to pinpoint to, you know, Russia and Putin's regime and Russian colonial legacy. Because on the same day uh, at Kiev Pride, right, when uh, we we both attended with you, Terrell, um, you know, I was prevented from entering the Pride zone by uh, a, a small group of protesters and they were just like holding hands and, you know, preventing us from entering screaming. And I started engaging with them, asking, like, who you are, why are you here, and why you don't want me to uh, celebrate my pride. And they were, they were starting talking to me in English. And it turns out that there was, like, a group of 20, 25 protesters from Pittsburgh in uh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and they came to Kiev because uh, they think that, you know, there is a, a Western ploy to hijack traditional values, whatever they think they are. And um, I just, I love this story because I kind of always lead with that example, emphasizing to folks that the struggle for equal human rights and the people who against it are extremely successful at networking, coordinating, global level, something that we folks on the other side, the folks who are for equality don't do as effectively as we should because those people, I mean, I always say like people you should go and Google World Family Congress, right? Yeah, the, like- the the organization that uh spends hundreds of millions of dollars and is based in the US, but also, you know, this massive networking club for Russian American conservatives, conservatives from all mm-hmm. over the place. Who basically strategize and brainstorm on how to uh, roll back anything equality related in any part of the world. Like this trans law that Svetlana, anti trans law that Svetlana mentioned, it is remarkably remarkably similar to the same trans law that was passed in Hungary just weeks ago, uh, basically stripping uh, trans uh, people of legal identity. And what happened with conservative forces in Georgia, you know Belize hosted World family Congress some years ago. It was uh, intellectually i mean Miriam you know can probably confirm intellectually and financially it had a huge impact on local conservative groups, the way they developed language, how they you know organized what the words and propaganda messages they used this wouldn't happen as, you know, successfully if those forces, you know, wouldn't, um, you know, cooperate and network on a global level.
0: A couple weeks ago, our U.S. Supreme Court just determined that a trans person or, you know, LGBTQ people can sue their employers for discrimination. Because in our Civil Rights Act, it wasn't clear that sex or, you know, um, or your identification could be considered as a protected um, right. You know, and so that just happened a couple weeks ago in America. Now, what we don't have is equality in other areas for LGBTQ plus people. And so there's currently a bill that's stalled in our Congress called the Equality Act. And the Equality Act would protect people and housing, it would protect people and all other areas of our society, but you know the Republican Congress refuses to pass it. And Donald Trump and his extreme cruelty, for example with our uh department, you know, our HUD, you know, housing and urban development, he makes it uh is making it extremely difficult for people who identify as trans, for example, to seek housing at shelters. And in America, a lot of people who, um, you know, who are off, they, they they're you know, they're forced to leave their homes because their parents don't accept it, you know, et cetera. A shelter may be the only place where they can seek uh, safety. But what they will do is that they won't allow, a lot of these shelters, if they have federal dollars, would not allow people to enter as they are, you know, according to the, you know, how they identify. And so if a, a trans woman for example, would be forced to live with trans men. I mean, I'm sorry, with uh, cisgender men and vice versa. And so it just brings home the point that America, we have our own issues and our own abuses towards LGBTQ plus people. So I, I do, and I think with the Black Lives Matter movement, one of the things that I do try to do in my writing is We want to make all these issues a world issue because we're not only black we're not only georgian or wherever we have all these other identities and that if you are if you can abuse one identity you can abuse the other you know and so i try to encompass all of that in our writing and a lot of the activists here try to do the same and so how is it with you all developing regional networks right of support for each other because you know you may be a bit more ahead in georgia for example than you are in russia like how how does that work
1: i would say that we are quite good in networking and there is such a thing uh, as eastern european coalition for lgbt plus equality it it unites organizations from like russia ukraine georgia armenia moldova And from time to time we gather together online or offline and we talk about our strategies and what's going on and how the situation in Russia affects like the whole region and what's going on in like other parts of the region. And uh, well, I think that we are quite good in such exchange. And I would say that it is really important to really to know what's going on in other places because as a person from russia and as a person from st petersburg i can have quite a good or relatively good understanding of what's going on like in my close circles but it's really hard really to understand what's going on in other countries and uh, i think that all other countries all our countries are really interdependent in a way that uh, like all this political situation and ultra rights, which are really good, as Maxim said, they're really good in uniting the efforts. So we are trying to do the same.
0: Mariam.
2: Yeah. Uh, so um, I think that uh, we are doing networking and we have some regional contacts uh, with each other, but I think we should um, get more active in this regards. Um, but uh, Ukrainian um, Pride was mentioned, Kiev Pride, and for us in Georgia, it's a huge inspiration, actually, and an example that in Eastern Europe, something like this is um, possible. And we have very close relationships with um, Kiev Pride organizers, and we shared uh, uh, experience, even about very small details from them, and it was extremely useful. And um, this kind of connections happen, but it's, uh, I would say, in my opinion it's kind of pragmatic and and not regular and i would like and i would love to have more meetings and gatherings with each other. Um, uh, but so there are some platforms, for example, there's this UGA Europe um, LGBTQI organization that unites Eastern, Central Europe and Central Asia that we usually annually gather and talk and, and, and um, discuss our strategies and shared experiences. Um, it's, um, this opportunity is there, uh, but also in the, the, uh, now, the times have changed very much because of the COVID situation and uh, we have been in in lockdowns and um, we just um, we have very much to rethink the uh, ways of our work uh, and uh, it's quite um, um, uh, challenging times and we, um uh, we we could not gather in physical um, space then uh, we couldn't meet for uh different occasions but we try to adapt to to, to this new reality and to work online, but it's especially for um, LGBTQI people, I would like to mention uh, in Georgia, at least uh, it's very uh, hard times as many people have to, are kind of stuck uh, in their homes, in their families, uh which um and we have we have domestic violence rates very high in georgia and it's quite difficult um to be staying at homes uh, a lot and uh, um, we had to we had to do something about this and it was quite difficult months. Um, yeah, uh, and and also about COVID-19 situation, we, we shared some experiences with each other. And now on July 29th, we have planned very interesting online conference about far right, Topic again and and violent extremism and radicalization and we will have guests uh, from Norway, Sweden and Ukraine actually And of of course Georgian speakers where we are going to talk about this regional or global trends in terms of um, uh, Far-right uprising and what what we can do uh, uh, Globally as a global movement and regional movement to oppose this and um we we try to work in this direction, but um, yeah, um, it it would be great to have more actions and more more um, work done in this in this regard.
0: Maxime, uh, cross regional cooperation. Well, you know, as a
3: journalist, it's always for me important, and I I truly believe, deeply believe that stories or powerful stories. That's what moves uh progress and what moves people to act or to care or to relate or to emphasize. And in this specific case, I think that it's unfortunately it's the issue of uh you know, like a bit of lack of transborder issue is related to lack of good journalism that not only pinpoint those uh similar trends, or for example. To explain a person from Russia why should they care or pay attention to something that is happening in Georgia, um, but also on a global level, we do not invest enough to investigate those transborder activities by uh, international hate groups, and uh, this is the issue that it brings back to newsrooms that have much more power and newsrooms in more wealthier countries. Back in, uh, you know, in Western Europe or even United States, despite the crisis in, in, uh, in journalism, it's still much more wealthier than anything that uh, any newsroom over here can can afford. And uh, this is something that I personally also try to do. So I invest in that direction more. I, you know, I helped to co- co-found the largest in the region uh, support network for independent newsrooms in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. And what we try to do is to make sure that not only our partners and independent newsrooms do stories that are interesting and captivating, specifically pay enough attention to uh, minorities as well, but that the also that those stories travel across the border. That something that is you know told by Georgian journalists travels to Ukraine and the Ukrainian audience exposed to it. And I think that's where we have this problem. Because Svetlana is right uh, that the networking cooperation is very good between activists, but on the larger scale of societies in the region, they must uh, be exposed to the, this problem that if they do care about the equality, it's not just Ukrainian issue. It's not just Georgian issue or Russian issue. It's quite now global and similar and without like even understanding in it. We cannot expect that people will, you know, move to the uh, to the side of resolving it or just addressing it. Even
0: I want to ask you all about national leadership and hope, right? So, but particularly with uh, Maoudiem, I was in Georgia when Shaka Suiy took power, and there's a way in which we thought that he was like, you know, here's the thing. actually has a very complex history and we're not going to get into it but one of the the reason why i'm bringing up uh misha is because you know he was this english talking person very smooth and very good with westerners and saying that we're going to modernize georgia right and one thing i never ever thought about was what was his position on lgbtq plus people what was his party's Position on LGBTQ plus people because honestly I don't know because I remember when I went to Georgia in 2003 and it looks like a different world relatively speaking now compared to you know 2003 uh, 17 years ago when I first arrived so can you give us some context on what LGBTQ you know how he looked at LGBTQ plus rights and currently what you know what's the situation now from a top from like the uh the top leadership positions now
2: um very interesting question actually um yeah uh, misha really was the president of georgia uh like for eight years um uh, uh and in 2012 uh the government changed and uh, uh soon also misha was not the president and um The thing is that uh, we always heard and kind of knew that personally him and his team members were not homophobic per se, and they had many gay friends and they were quite open-minded. All of them had Western education and traveled a lot and so on. And um, I, I kind of believe that like on a daily basis, like personally, he wasn't homophobic, but The thing with that government, United National Movement, was that they actually started what we call uh, Political homophobia, even though maybe personally they were not homophobes, they were using the homophobia that exists in in society uh, in order uh, as a political instrument. Um, For example, they were the ones who used uh, the recordings Um, of private life of one um, gay man in order to threaten him and they distributed this uh, video and um, kind of This was the first time that happened in Georgia actually. Uh, And also when in 2013, um, uh, we had uh, the May 17th action, uh, International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia. And we tried to organize a small demonstration and it was uh, attacked by 25,000 counter demonstrants The the, Church people and uh, radical group representatives and so on, and he he had this um, comment on this very populistic and very homophobic, where he was like, kind of um, uh, saying that um, you know um, it was a provocation from LGBTQI community and uh, uh, it was it, it was very bad comment and uh, so I, I I would say that. Um, um they were using homophobia in in a populistic way and uh, uh, as an instrument to gain the votes and to to be acceptable for people and this government actually i think this government uh, is very conservative itself like all of them i would say are very um religious and very conservative and um, we feel it every day that they completely lack sensitivity towards lgbtqi topics and they have very close relations to the church and to the church leadership and um, yeah uh, it's, um, it's uh, in both the, uh, political parties before and now we have georgian dream it's the name of political party Uh, The establishment uh, is quite um, insensitive and homophobic and uh, it's very difficult. For example, last year, the government was asking us uh, to cancel the march, like directly asking us uh, um, to cancel or to move it uh, within the closed space on the stadium or something. So, um, and they were uh, pointing on us and saying that uh you know because of you are doing this now the aggression in the society is raising and the hate crimes incidents are happening and all of this is your fault and this is the discourse uh, that they have and uh um, yeah they they refuse to to protect us to ensure our um, realization our constitutional rights and uh it's it's quite difficult to work with them uh and um Yeah, this is the case with with the current government and political party,
0: Svetlana. What is it like doing the work that you do under Putin's government? I see you. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Um, I'll try to explain, but probably it's not that easy because I don't know anything else, and I know only how to be an activist in Russia. And only how to be activist under Putin, because, uh, well, he's in power for so many years that when I became part of this movement, he was in power. And, you know, my sister was born and became adult and uh, during his time in power. Well, uh, our authorities constantly say that they're not homophobic. No, they have such a friends and you know there are no like restrictions for such people in russia they like in 2013 when they adopted this so-called propaganda law they were saying well you can do whatever you want just do not propagate just do not tell anyone go to your club and have sex with whoever you want just don't tell us and we are fine with them But basically the reason by like behind this propaganda legislation was exactly that. Like, do not propagate it to children. Do not destroy our like morality and family. Uh, Right now, the rhetoric is changing. And right now, like they're really willing to interfere into people's lives. They're really interfering into like personal life with this legislation. And we can see that they do not want to leave us alone. So, of course it is quite problematic to be an LGBT activist and to be a human rights defender in Russia. But, well, I I do not believe that they are that powerful as they want to look like. Uh, I can feel that people do not trust to them, do not trust to Putin. I feel that the situation is changing and I feel that society is changing. Oh, I'm really optimistic.
0: I think that's good that you're optimistic because I feel like in the West, our media does a terrible job of truly understanding the work that activists do in Russia. I think my my saying is in 2016 and beyond with Russia everybody says Russia, 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 and we don't. And and to this day, Americans don't know jack shit about Russia. You know, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like what. Can you tell me about Russia besides Kremlin, Putin, Cold, Siberia?
3: Usually the way Americans look at the
0: outside world, a very
3: problematic and messed up way, where each and every issue that is happening in America, where each and every issue that is foreign and comes to American headlines must be rooted within something happening in the states. So with Russia. You know, or with the Ukrainian um, uh, Ukrainian scandal, with the uh, Trump and everything, it's been probably in the last four years. I've heard from the American media of the words and Ukraine. The, I mean, the largest amount, biggest amount of time. Times ever in my life, I've never heard so much, so much people, Americans, saying Ukraine Russia. However, like there was like zero, it was zero about Russia and Ukraine. It was also about America, and it's important for queer issues as well. I mean, this is a struggle that we all have when we try to tell our stories, our stories. And I'm as a journalist, as a as a writer who works for American media, sometimes publishes. This is a struggle that I always have, like. How, you, how am I tell the story of my region, my people, without it being hijacked by you know, American internal uh, discourse and politics or whatever they wanted this story to be about, except what actually it is. So I think this is something that many, uh, especially American journalists, should reflect more. Um, and bring people from those countries to tell those stories. I don't understand why it has to be always some like white American male telling those stories uh, from Russia, Uganda, or Brazil. Um, There are so many people who have fantastic knowledge of English and can write perfectly in a very plain way. So just give them a voice. In terms of Ukraine, I I mean, you know, I'm not an activist and I'm not, you know, um, my job is not as, you know, badass and fierce and brave as like, with and Mariam's, because I don't have to be, I don't have to get to the grind of this ag- everyday activist work. So what I do, I just tell stories, right? And uh, I, uh, I, I feel like with um, with Ukraine, the story that is not being told very often is that how actually changed um, dramatically in the recent years. Because I think, again, this is a similar trend when they cover queer rights or human rights equality or politics or whatever in our part of the region. It's always about, like, uh, covering messed up stuff, like something that can get to the headlines. If you Google Ukraine or you Google Russia, you Google Georgia, this is bizarrely depressing shit all the time. It's um, I think it's kind of. very dangerous because then back people outside our allies and we do depend on foreign allies and partnerships and people who can you know again network communicate with us and also help our fight they're always depressed to like see us you know oh you know i'm so sorry your situation is so shitty you know what can we do probably not much you know it's never nothing nothing good happens and I'm not saying that we should like deprioritize stories about violence and how bad it is, and it is bad, but we also have to tell stories of people who do something great and achieve successes, like back in Russia, uh, you know everybody says that it's uh, you know situation that is completely horrible, and unless Putin is there, nothing will change. But then you see this fantastic generation of young queer kids doing media outlets going to protests, seeing dozens of people rallying for trans rights in russia this is like unprecedented you know the people who not only rally for human rights or democracy but also specifically for trans rights and in georgia which is like one of the most conservative places in terms of social uh social uh social relations seeing a pride happening and so many young activists being outspoken and doing their terrific job is also unprecedented. You haven't seen that in two, five years. And back in Ukraine, um, it is the same. Of course, there is absolutely identical issue of identity wars and identity polarization. And both svetlana and Mariam said plenty about it, that politicians all across the world, in Eastern Europe, including keep using the issue of minorities to score some political points this is so pervasive everywhere back in america as well i just feel i hope and i see that maybe it is happening that many people get tired of this because back in 2013 where uh back in russia they introduced anti-gay propaganda law it had you know all the society was talking about and you people were really invested in this issue. Now, you know, with this power grab that Putin's power grab that was enveloped in constitutional changes that were banning uh, same sex uh, marriage equality for same same sex couples as well. I mean, I don't see anyone like caring much about it anymore because people do not like triggered by it as much. And you see the, Polls that show that Russian society grows more tolerant towards queer people. Its situation, at least according to independent polls, a bit even better than in, back in Ukraine. And you look at Ukraine as well. Uh, man, I think like it doesn't matter whether it was Poroshenko or Zelensky, although Zelensky publicly, you know, s- spoke uh, on behalf of queer people once. Um, I feel like there are still political elites back there who feel like this is still a potent issue that they can exploit, especially now, because nobody wants to talk about how they fail to manage COVID-19, how people die because of their mismanagement. They would rather, like, you know, again, throw this identity shit like, oh, you know, we need to do something where queer people or Russian speaking people or... Trans people, whatever shit. So I feel like this is the problem, and it's on our side as a society. It's our obligation to just like stop tolerating this. We, identity issues are important, minority rights are important, but it cannot be part of just like this one isolated issue that they sell us as isolated issue and that's how they managed to manipulate it instead like making it back to the overall story democracy is not possible without human rights equality that's you know the issue um so i think we need to go back to it
0: right yeah exactly exactly so i want to end off this uh this great conversation by talking about your hopes and what you're looking forward to in your countries, right? I mean, because you've all done all this great work and, uh, and um, I mean, I think the fact that people are out there doing the work, there's always some optimism in it. And so, Svetlana, what's your hope and your optimism for Russia and the work that you do for LGBTQ plus people and your, and, your, and, your, and your hope for yourself?
1: Well, I do find a lot of hope in young activists, because I can see that the movement is growing stronger and I can see that more and more people from different pi- parts of Russia join the movement and they really want to change this world. They see all the inequality and you know they want to invest and they're very different in that sense from, the, from other generations. Like um, I was still born in the Soviet Union and there is this uh, feeling of helplessness. And the young generation, they just don't have it. They believe that they can change the world and they're changing the world. And another great thing is again, young people in Russia, not just LGBT people, but young people. Maxim already said something about uh, how the society is changing. And just last year, there was this public poll opinion um, and uh, school children were asked different things, many kinds of things. And they were asked about LGBT. And most of them, they don't believe in such thing as propaganda of homosexuality. And at least 50% of them believe that there should be marriage equality for LGBT plus people. So, I mean, they are very different and, uh, oh, I'm happy to see them. And of course, it's not just black and white. And of course, there are many shitty things in Russia and there is a huge level of violence and there is all this police and the authorities. I mean all kinds of shit but still there is a lot of hope and uh like I'm really grateful that you're raising these issues and you're showing that the world is more sophisticated than like it looks from the first sight.
0: Uh well thank you we're we're working really I'm I'm working doing the best I can and even doing more. So Mariam uh what about your hopes for yourself in in Georgia? Velo
2: yeah so definitely i'm optimistic because if i didn't have hopes and optimism i wouldn't be in activism i really believe that we can change things uh i i feel that the the progress is happening slowly but uh, it's happening and we we have we accepted anti-discrimination legislation in in 2014 and just this year in 2020 first time in history um Uh, LGBTQI issues were incorporated in the national plan, human rights national strategy uh, plan and this was also a very big thing and um, we see um, some steps, uh, some policy reforms, legislation changes. Um, Georgia is, is um, even though it's very conservative, uh, it's trying to um, make democ- to move towards democracy and make some steps. Uh, and to, in, especially given the context that we have declared that we want to join EU and the government puts quite big effort in this. Um, And also um, more, and you mentioned Cetlana young people and definitely uh, we see the the polls that uh, the attitudes in the young generation is changing and it's more uh, tolerant, and they are more in solidarity with queer people, and this gives us also some hopes. Um, yeah, I think that uh, our work, our work of Tbilisi Pride and LGBTQI activists in Georgia, is, is um, making small but important uh, has important impact, and we will we will try to keep it up. Thank you,
0: Maxine.
3: Man, I, I mean, in terms of optimism, I'm, you know, like, ultimate Debbie Butt-Downer. I, I never have this at all, ever. Um, what I, I do hope, I always what I do have is hope all the time. And I try to, like, find it in the everyday um, news or stories I see. And I do see it almost every day. So there's, like, always a constant source of inspiration coming from the region, you know primarily now but not only among young people but also look at this region and look i'm like i'm, I'm amazed every day that majority of democracy human rights organizations activists are female you know they led by strong females they're either uh anchored by strong females and this is fantastic to see because usually the region is uh, always portrayed as hyper-patriarchal, but you see that the people who push for the most and effectively push the most are our women. Um, So this is is a terrific source of inspiration and hope. However, I think I don't, I mean, I understand that there must be like some message of hope, but I also feel like we need to understand that there is a lot of hard work for everyone even back in America when it comes to equality front lines, some of your people are responsible for making situation worse on a global level. Despite that, maybe you're not really interested in this issue. And sometimes just not being ignorant and being aware and learning by it and educating yourself about it is already, you know, already helps. It helps me to tell stories or to sell those stories to you. American editors, because their audience wants to know finally, it helps to uh, you know spend less time explaining the background because you did part of your job and you went online and you googled and i don't have to tell you that I don't know Ukraine or Georgia you know in on this part of the world map, and this is it you know this is like it takes a lot of time literally every time to spend an hour or so just explaining where those places are, who are those people, what the background is. I think it's important for people to do that damn job and educate themselves about the struggles around the world because, again, they're interconnected and you play part of it and your citizens play part of it. So maybe by fixing something at your backyard, you just you know, help us to do uh, some of our jobs easier.
0: You know, Maxime, that's, that's, thank you for saying that. And I think we need to have space for all of this stuff and talking about the work and the work doesn't look glossy. It's not glam. It's not, you know, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. So there's, we definitely have to have space for all of that. And so I appreciate you sharing those words because I know damn sure on our side, there's a lot that we all can do as Americans to, uh, to do a better job as journalists. Um, and explaining this part of the world georgia um ukraine uh russia and talk about this you know the sophistication of these regions that takes time and us willing to learn the languages you know we don't have to be pushkin or um Shota rustavelli in the case of um you know georgia you know um, um or you know we don't have to be any of these famous um you know masters of 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 the language but we have to try you know and um but yeah i want to thank all of you all uh, but before i go i want to ask the final question is how what's your self-care process like you all are doing this work you all is so intense how do you take care of yourself what does self-care look like for you Mar- mariam
2: yeah it's <laughs> We are doing really bad uh, in this regard. I mean, yeah, burnout is very big problem for me and for my colleagues here at Spillacy Pride. And yeah, it's it's difficult. Uh, it, this activism affects our mental health a lot. And we, um, I don't know, we, we just recently started to think about it after Spillacy Pride 2019, that, oh my gosh, we need to think about ourselves. We cannot be working for 24 hours and always uh, thinking about work and doing this crazy stuff. And it's, it's, yeah, And um, we, I started to take, I think about it more and, and to do the therapy and to, to have some time for free activities and hobbies and for my friends. And yeah, it's, uh, it's quite challenging. Um, But uh, I I, I try to take care of myself as much as possible.
0: Svetlana?
1: I think that in our region, there are a lot of myths about activism. And they say that activist is available 24-7 and ready to go and save everyone, anytime, forever. Otherwise, you're not a proper, real activist. And, uh, well, actually, it was really hard to find to fight it for me. But at some point, I realized that it's not sustainable, that, like, I need also my personal life, and I need boundaries. And to be honest, right now, I'm very good in keeping boundaries. I, I know that I need a rest. I know that I need my personal life. I need to go to the city. I want to dance sometime. I want to meet friends. And, uh, well, I think that for all the activists in our region, it's really important to understand that you cannot save everyone, that it is a long battle ahead of us. And we really should take care about ourselves, first of all, to go on with this battle. And well, I think that is it is just crucially important for all of us.
0: Maxine, how about you? Well, you
3: know that I'm like super corny and, you know, super cheesy all the time so i for me it's um i mean i do find rejuvenation in the process of rebuilding myself through the acts of something that i'm successful at achieving right so if i do something during the day and it relates because i don't have those boundaries unfortunately whatever i do is part of like me it's an extension of me so i don't have like work And then I cannot, you know, work, although I do have husband and family and, you know, this is also important. But then if I during the day or if it's some like project or some task I achieved it, I do feel better and I do feel kind of re-energized. But I want to second what Svetlana said that you need to establish some boundaries, including for the tasks that you opt to. Like, for example, we do understand that it's a very long road or, you know, in general, like achieving quality is never an end game. You know, it's always be a a process. It's always be a journey. You need to do it like all the time, no matter at what point of the game you are. However, if you focus on something that you can personally do and you try to achieve it, like what is possible for you as a person. Then it sets you up for kind of a better game rather than being, you know, crushed by the realization, everyday realization of how much work is still out there. Um, Yeah, but also, like, you know, keeping like a small garden as I started doing, like during the lockdown, also helps. I love my plants. And, you know, I sometimes find it more challenging. (laughs) Than my everyday work because they don't forgive uh, if you like forgot about them for a day or something. That's gonna be all dead or something. (laughs) So you know it helps. Um, So you try to do those things so you can just switch off. It's it's probably true for everyone, no matter how intense your life is.
0: Yeah. Well. Everybody, I want to thank you all for coming on to Black Diplomats. I appreciate it. We did a show.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you, Terrell. Svetlana, paka. Paka, paka.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Black Diplomats. If you like this episode, please become a patron at the link in the episode notes. Also, rate and subscribe to Black Diplomats on your favorite podcast platform. The intro and outro music is brought to you by my fellow Detroiter, Tall Black Guy.